Hello and welcome to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, along with my wonderful wife and producer, Janet. And today in the studio, we have Greg Bickle, physician's assistant from Compassion Family Medicine. Welcome, Greg. Well, thank you, Sean. Glad to be here. Yeah, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Good. Thanks for thanks for making the trip over. I'm excited for this show. We have a lot to cover today. Um, I have a feeling we won't cover it all because there is a lot here. So I have a wonderful friend, and stay tuned. I'll talk about him later. Um, but he had a suggestion yesterday because there's such a hysteria regarding the coronavirus. So let's just start talking a little bit about the coronavirus. Um, my opinion is, well, I guess the truth is, and I'll say my opinion, the truth is that this is something we've been dealing with for thousands of years. It's mm-hmm. nothing new, although I think the government would like us to think it's something new, and the media has created a hysteria. Um, tell me your opinion about the coronavirus. Yeah, I, I actually would agree with you in terms of it being a virus that has been around forever and ever and ever. Um, I don't know that I've heard much about it really in terms of from, from the clinical perspective um, and seeing patients um, at Compassion Family Medicine. Um, and so, yeah, I think that there is maybe a little bit of hype about this. I think that the influenza virus takes more lives on a yearly basis than the coronavirus. Um, what's interesting to me is that, um, is that uh, um, you know, in terms of treatments, whether it's the influenza virus or whether it's a coronavirus, um, we just don't have a whole lot there. Um, no, no antivirals, at least for the coronavirus, are going to um, be a positive treatment for that. It's basically symptomatic treatment. Right. Yep. So the best thing is a healthy immune system, right? It is. That means good health. I mean, that means good rest, eating healthy, exercising, and really just taking care of your body to the best of its abilities. Yeah. Um, those that are immune compromised, whether it be COPD, emphysema, chronic bronchitis, um, you know, breathing issues, asthma, those people especially can be affected in a negative uh, way just because that's where the virus likes to, um, to go and to seed itself. Right. So one thing I was learning, I just listened over the weekend to a wonderful podcast from Rhonda Patrick. If you guys don't follow her, um, she's got a great podcast, um, Found My Fitness. She had Dr. Matthew Walker on, and he talked about the importance of sleep. And let me say it again. Sleep, sleep, yeah. sleep. It is so important to for healthy immune system and many things else to um, to keep our bodies healthy. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So if, I could, I, if I could just come on yeah, it for a second, please. But the big thing about good, healthy, deep REM sleep is that it allows all of our organ systems, from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, just to go ah and relax and that's where the healing occurs and if we don't get into that deep REM sleep then those organ systems stay um, hyperactive and they don't get that rest that they need whether and you know it doesn't matter if you are uh, someone that's an athlete you still need eight hours of sleep or so most of us in this country do not get that Um, you know a lot of people out there have sleep apnea and those CPAP machines are amazing in terms of helping people to get into that deep rest that they need. Right. Good. So just to let you guys know, for your Facebook viewers that can see this, <laughs> um, Janet just brought this up, and I've, I've heard about this before, but look at these, these disinfecting wipes. This is just a Staples brand disinfecting wipes. You read on the back, it says treats coronavirus. This is not a new virus that happened over the last month. This is something that Lysol is has said they treat for years so Mm -hmm. it's not new so all right thank you for that greg um and that goes into a segue i i I think uh you know as you some of you followers know um i have a book called sickened how the 
how the government ruined healthcare mm-hmm. and how to fix it, um, go to Amazon to download the book. It's available on Kindle now. Um, only I am going to have a hard copy paperback version out later this year, and hopefully an audio book later this year too. So, but I think the government likes to create some kinds of hysteria like this because then it gives them a reason to tax and control us, mm. and so they're going to come in and save the day. When in reality, only us, only us as individuals, need to educate ourselves and be empowered to take care of our own health. Mm-hmm. We don't need to leave it in the hands of the government. So, all right, thank you for that, Greg. So, give me a little bit of history about yourself and and how your clinic started. Wow, I um, originally went to a college at Eastern Washington University. Go Eags! Go Eagles! Uh, that's I, I right. Two years. <laughs> uh, from '76 to '80, and uh, I was really excited to be there. I was going to become a physical therapist initially, and uh, of all things that happened in college, I ended up getting to know Jesus Christ and became a Christian. So excited about that that Amen. I decided to um, drop out of school. My dad's a community college professor, and when I called him and was all excited about that, he was not really very excited <laughs> at all. So anyway, I went into ministry, did campus ministry at EWU for several years, stepped into the pulpit for four years, loved campus ministry, hated the pulpit, hit the wall, wasn't being a good husband or good father, and decided to make a career change. So what did I do? I went from preaching to peddling drugs, and those <laughs> drugs were pharmaceuticals. Well, at least they were legal. <laughs> they were legal. At least that's exactly right. And so I really enjoyed that career, but after a while, I got bored. Um, and so I'm in these clinics, and I'm saying, hmm, look at what these PAs, physician assistants, are doing. Look at the nurse practitioners. And so my wife, Teresa, and I began to have some discussions about what we would do. And so... Looked at medical school, looked at PA school, looked at nurse practitioner school. And our boys at that time were 16 years old, Isaiah, 14 years old, Micah, and Daniel, 12. And it's like, wow, if I go to medical school, I'm going to miss out on a ton of their life. And so PA was the quickest way to get in and out. And so that's what we did. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad you chose that. So here we are. Mm -hmm. Um, So tell me a little bit about the history of, of of your work experience as a PA and then um, and how you started your clinic. Sure. Um, I've been doing this a little over 20 years. Um, I went to PA school at 39 years of age. So I guess one of the things I would like to tell folks out there is you don't have to stay stuck. You know, you can make the career change. And so just go do it. That's right. I love it. Uh, yeah. And, and um, in fact, I tell my patients that when they come in and they're just bummed and sick and they hate what they do and they don't like getting up in the morning and going and doing it, it's like, then make the change. That's right. You know, it can be done. And it's been amazing the number of patients that um, I've been a small part of that journey of changing careers. And they're much, much happier. Um, and so, anyway, I've been doing this about 20 years, a little over 20 years. And uh, I've been in two privately owned clinics. I've never been in a hospital-based clinic in my life. And so I can't speak to what that is uh, personally, but I have a lot of friends that have been in corporate medicine and what that is like. Um, These two clinics, I enjoy them tremendously. Um, One clinic I was with for about 15 years and the other clinic was a little over three years. And um, all of a sudden, about uh, Four years ago, I began to kind of have this inkling, this urge, this dream and desire to put my own stamp on what I thought medicine should look like. And so I began to tease that out with my wife. She was, Teresa was like, "Um, what are you doing? 
we are near retirement age if we want. <laughs> we can just cruise for the next couple of years and be done. And it's like, Trace, I don't think so. I don't think that's what I'm supposed to do. And so I began to tease that out with Teresa and then a couple of other really influential people uh, who are with me now in the clinic. And um, all of a sudden it was like, it's time to do it. And so we took the big leap and Compassion Family Medicine was born. Awesome, awesome. So what makes, that was about three years ago, correct? Um, at, yeah, that was three years. We've been open about five months now. Okay, okay. And um, so tell me what makes Compassion Family Medicine different. Oh boy. Um, you know what, I, I, I guess probably the best way to describe it is this. When I meet a patient for the very first time, I walk in the door and I say, hey, I'm Greg, I work as a PA, been doing it about 20 years or so. And I ask them, do you know anything about me or do you know anything about the clinic? And sometimes they'll say yes and we talk about that, other times they'll say no. And I like to boil it down to basically this. Um, so I'd say, Sean, hey, I'm Greg, been a PA for about 20 years. Um, Welcome to the practice. I'm glad that you're here. How'd you find out about us? And then you'll say something. And then I'll say, do you know how I like to practice medicine? What my, what my view of my philosophy is? And a lot of times they'll say no. And I'll say, here's the thing. I see us as a team. And in this team, I am not more important than you. And you are not more important than me. But we are on this equal playing field. And my job is to come in, sit down, look you in the eye. And if I ask really good questions... And if you give me honest answers, then we're going to be a great team and we're going to get this thing figured out. Sometimes you can point and say it hurts right here. And other times it's incredibly vague. Coronavirus, incredibly vague. <laughs> and um, and tell, uh, me, tell me what the symptom of the coronavirus is you're talking yeah. before the show. A cough and fever. Cough right? and fever. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How do, we, how do we tease that right, out? Right. Okay. Go ahead. But, but so anyway, it, it, and, that's, and that's what I do. And, and, I, and everybody all of a sudden goes and relaxes. And then I, I would say something like this, Sean, sometimes that means I'm going to be running late. I try to not be more than 15 to 20 minutes late for an appointment, but Sean, if I'm, if I'm late, I promise you that when I walk in the door, I will sit down, we will take our time, I will not rush our appointment, and you will get the time that you need from me to get figured out what we need to get figured out. I love it. Well, you, you are perfect on this show because one of the, um, the goals of this show is to educate and empower patients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and really, as healthcare providers, we need to put the patient in charge because we don't see them as we don't live with them 24 yeah. hours a day. Right. So we need to let them know that they are empowered in yeah. their own health, and so we need to educate them and empower them. I think so one I of the worst. It. I think one of the worst things that can happen is you can, you know, you know, get take your history, do your physical, put your plan together, and have the patient go on auto nod. Yep. And right. then not, then not implement anything because they haven't bought in. Right. And they have to buy in. Yeah, there, there, there's buy-in. So, so tell us about like like building a relationship and how you make mm -hmm. it personal. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think sometimes in medicine, we are afraid as providers to just talk about ourselves, and I think that stories are incredibly, incredibly important. One of the things that I think about when I think about my patients is is that I want them to get to know me as as a person not just as a provider, but as a person. And so I will share with them where appropriate um, instances in my life where I have experienced something similar. For instance, um, I have a real heart for families that have addiction. 
and it doesn't matter what the addiction is. It could be alcohol, it could be meth, it could be opiate, uh, opiates, it could be anything. It really doesn't much matter what it is. And part of the reason that I, I have this heart for, for families that struggle is, is that we have a son that has struggled with alcohol and other addictions in the past. And um, we've done an intervention and that has not worked out the way that we would like it to at this point in time. Um, but when I tell that story to moms and dads or brothers and sisters, they just melt. Yeah. They absolutely just melt because they know that they're talking to someone that has lived what they're living. And I think that that's part of what's missing in good medicine is that you need to live with your patients. And so I think stories help us to do that. And my stories um, do that. And I'll cry with patients. I mean, I have, I, and when they start to cry and, and they say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm crying. And I just look at them and I say, you know what? Tears are safe in this clinic because they are. Yeah, that's very personal. And when you get personal with them, they kind of let their guard down. And it does. That you're, just, you're just like one of them. Yeah. You're, just, you're there to help them. And I know that there's a lot of families that have struggled with personal addiction, mm-hmm. especially with their kids. And it's a very, mm-hmm. that is a very personal issue. Oh, my thank, goodness. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and, and it hurts deeply. And it affects the whole family. Um, you know, your spouse, the siblings. Um, it's, it's, it's just really, really hard on families. Yeah. So you talk about, you know, spend enough time with a patient mm-hmm. so yeah. give us some examples of how you know in in big corporate type medicine mm-hmm. you know they have some numbers that you would want them to meet as far as number of patients and yeah. and do you limit that in your practice or how do you deal with that yeah um i think that that's part of what is a really big issue in medicine today corporate or hospital-based medicine versus independently owned practices and i think i don't i'm not sure exactly what the specific statistics are but i think um, most providers, 75% or more, work in a hospital-based system. And so those of us that are independent um, are in a huge minority here. When you're in a hospital-based system, there are these things called relative value units, um, and you're basically paid on that. And, and um, although I, I've never been there and I don't understand it as fully as someone who is in the system, um, um, that's how they're paid. Okay. And, so why don't we wrap this yeah. first segment up, okay. and then you can tell us what makes your clinic different, okay? Will do. All right, we're going to go to a commercial break. Thank you for listening to AM 1470 KBSN in Moses Lake. We are streaming live on my personal Facebook page, Sean Needham's personal Facebook page, and you can check us out on the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacies YouTube also. Be part of the show. Please call in 509-765-1470. If you have any personal things you'd like to ask or share with Greg, please let us know. All right, we'll see you in a few minutes. Hello, and welcome back to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. If you missed our first segment, uh, we have Greg Bickle from Compassion Family Medicine out of Yakima with us, and we will continue our conversation. Greg, go into what makes your clinic different about the numbers. Well, um, we... We certainly have some goals in terms of number of patients that need to be seen per day so that we can keep the lights on and the doors open. You know, I mean, there, unfortunately, anymore, there, there is a business side to, to medicine. And back in the old days when I started 20 years ago, that was beginning to creep in, but it wasn't as big a deal as it is today. Um, you know, at, at Compassion Family Medicine, the goal is for those of us that are there in a full day, um, to see right around 20 patients a day, maybe 10 in the morning, 10 in the afternoon. 
And that's just a really comfortable pace. You know, you're able to sit down and talk with your patients that have the high cholesterol, the diabetes, the hypertension. Uh, maybe they're incredibly depressed and something has happened in their life and so you need to just sit and listen to them uh, talk this out and just be, be a sounding board. Um, in hospital-based medicine, it's just you gotta see them. You gotta see them. 15 minute, 10 minute increments, 30 patients a day or more. And I think that that puts a tremendous amount of stress on the provider. Um, there have been some studies that have been done that shows that within 60 seconds of a doctor walking in the door, they have made all of the determinations that they need to make and they're ready to go. And we don't do that. We sit and we listen. In fact, every single provider that we have, and we have a, we have a doc, we have two nurse practitioners and two PAs, they have been hired with the understanding that this is how we practice medicine. We sit and we listen, we ask questions, and together as a team, we create solutions. One of the things that I find really interesting about the practice of medicine is if we will just sit and listen and ask really good questions, the patient usually makes our job pretty easy. Right. They will guide us and direct us and take us to the diagnosis, and they don't even know it. Yeah. And so that's that's pretty awesome. Well, you mentioned about be about listening and being heard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you just kind of you kind of it's a good way to segue segue into it right where you're talking about. Yeah. If you listen to the patient, um, you know, eighty five percent I've heard you can mm-hmm. you know maybe uh, expand on this. Eighty five percent of all diagnosis can be can be done by a proper symptom and history evaluation yeah, absolutely. and a physical exam. Oh, yeah, without so, a doubt. So yeah. no labs, no CT scan, no, no right, right? No, no. And yet think about all the money and, and time we spent you know, drawing labs. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're not necessarily important right. and a part of two, uh, mm-hmm. a part of medicine, but mm-hmm. you know, like you say, listening and physical exam oh. is so important. We probably rely too much on imaging and labs in some instances. But part of that is just to protect our backside. Right. We have become such a litigious society that if you if you miss a diagnosis um, and you didn't order the test, um, that can really come back to bite you. Right. Um, when I think about ordering all the MRIs that I have had for headaches, I've only been surprised two or three times. You know, I thought that the MRI was probably going to come back normal, mm-hmm. and it did. But there have been three times when I've been. I've been surprised, and there was actually something, something there. Yeah. Um, you know, just getting back to, um, to, to the patients and how we interact in the exam room, it really truly is important to me that, that we sit down, we look people in the eyes, and we just, everybody goes, ah, oh, and then real medicine can get done. I mean, when a patient leaves Compassion Family Medicine, I want them to have experienced several things. One is that they've been listened to and heard. Number two is that they've been physically examined. And then number three, four, and at times five, I want them to feel like they've been touched mentally, emotionally, and where appropriate, spiritually. And I think that's another thing that is missing from medicine today is just the complete person. We talk about medicine, you know, and the whole person. But I think at times we forget that spiritual side. And I think that that really does have its place in healing. Absolutely, and of course, you have in your background in ministry, you mm-hmm. really know that you can really probably touch them that yeah. way. So that's mm-hmm. that's good to hear. So you talk about in your practice, you have family medicine, but you also have urgent care walk-in. Correct? We do, okay. yeah. So tell us, how do you manage that and still be able to take time with each patient, and you can have, still have walk-ins? Yeah, it's it's really kind of fun, actually. Um, and I think we are an anomaly um, in terms of how hard we really do 
market, advertise, um, put it out to the community that we are family practice and we do walk-in. I think that there are some clinics out there that, that dabble in it, but we go after it hard. And this walk-in clinic, <clears throat> um, we are, um, we're open to the community besides our patients. And so what's really, really interesting is, is, is that people can come in for family practice and maybe I'll see, you know, I'll, I'll see a, a one-year-old for their well-child exam and then we'll see uh, Henry who has, who's the senior citizen and he has COPD and he has hypertension and, and hyperlipidemia and so we deal with that. And then all of a sudden I see this walk-in, this uh, four-year-old that has a cough and an earache. And what's really kind of fun is, and what I really, really enjoy about family practice and walk-in is the variety. You're always on your toes. Right, yeah. And it's just fun and different. Um, if you're doing, and what happens, what I find really interesting with this hybrid model is that most family practice people want to do just family practice. And they don't want to dabble in the walk-in or urgent care side. And the walk-in urgent care people, they really don't want to deal with chronic disease states. Yeah, right. They just don't. And they want to treat them and straight them right. and be done. And what I find about the people that I've hired and how I really want to practice medicine is, is that to do both. And what's been fun is, is that for folks that have been seen on the walk-in side, they'll maybe see David Anderson or Kaylee Van Treese or Tim Osink. And at the end of the visit, they'll say, um, I don't have a primary care could you be my primary care? And it's like, duh, <laughs> of course. Right. Love to have you. Right. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit. We discussed this, uh, you know, a few weeks back. Um, tell me a little bit about, so a physician's assistant, tell me about mm -hmm. the, your role, and you have to have a doctor supervise you we do. right now currently. Mm -hmm. So tell mm -hmm. me a little bit about that and maybe what you believe should go on, is, um, is, is looking at going on in the future. Boy, there is some real controversy about yeah. this. Um, so the, uh, the PA uh, profession was begun in the in the 1960s uh, duke university and the university of washington were the two schools that started it and the whole idea was how do you take the skill set that the medics had in the services because they have great skill sets coming out of out of what they had to do in vietnam how do you take that and translate it into the, a community setting and the physician assistant profession uh, was born and so part of how that came about being was that we were to be physician extenders. In other words, we could help the physician do more by seeing some of those patients. It's really grown and it has evolved and morphed and changed to the point now where um, oftentimes in the past, for instance, with the osteopathic board uh, 15 years ago, there's an MD board and, and an osteopathic board in the state of Washington. The MD board was much more loose in their regulations versus the osteopathic board. The osteopathic board wanted the osteopath, the, the, the DO, to sign off on every single chart wow. that a PA saw. The MD board was 10%. That has since been rectified um, and it is changing even more. Part of, part of the whole change with the PA profession is, is that there has been a large increase in the number of nurse practitioners. And nurse practitioners do not have to have um, a supervising physician. And they can actually hang their own shingle without having a supervising physician. We as PAs, because of how our profession began, always have to have that. There's a, a movement out there called OTP, Optimal Team um, Practice, where we, some folks believe, and you can ask me what my opinion is later on if you'd like, but some people 
believe that we need to be a little more independent so that we can compete with nurse practitioners because hospital-based systems, privately owned clinics, if you don't have to supervise someone or collaborate is another word that's being used, um, then it just makes it that much easier in some physician's mind to have a nurse practitioner versus a PA because we need to have that th those legal um, um, I's dotted and T's crossed. Yeah. Well, it makes sense to me, you know, if there's a shortage, especially of primary care physicians, it just makes sense to me that using mid-levels, which is, you know, a yeah. PA and a, an ARMP, it just makes sense that for your routine primary care staff, that, 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 that just seems that those mid-levels would be even better utilized. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah there, are, there's, there, are, there are some interesting studies going on right now about how much time does it take to train someone to do family practice you know for instance with a pa when i went through 20 years ago you had to have an undergrad degree and then it was two years of school one was didactic which was the the book learning part and then the second year was um rotations clinicals um and and now uh, with pa programs everybody's coming out with a master's degree and so that's something that's a little bit new and a little bit different um yeah, it's just it's just quite interesting. I, I, and so how much time does it take? Does it really take four years of medical school and three years of residency to create the optimal uh, family practice physician, or can it be done in a shorter period of time? And then what are the outcomes with that? What are um, how often do PAs get sued versus nurse practitioners being sued versus MDs and DOs being sued? Yeah, and there, p people are really trying to get that figured out because maybe. Maybe uh, family practice MDs and DOs don't need quite as much time, um, and so we'll see. I mean, I have my own opinions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's been some a recent shakeup in your community of Yakima oh, yeah. with with um, Astria. Astria. That, that, mm -hmm. Astria Healthcare, mm -hmm. which was a hospital that just recently closed down. Can you go into that a little bit? Uh, yeah. I don't know a whole lot of the specifics of it. What I do know, bottom line, is that. Um, Astria Regional Hospital in Yakima, Washington, I think it was a couple hundred bed um, hospital, was shuttered um, a, a couple of months ago. And tell me what your clinic did, yeah. stepped up to the plate to, to help all yeah. those, those workers without, without health care, help yeah. them out. Um, what did you guys do? So David Anderson, nurse practitioner, and Tim Mossink, PA, are two of our primary providers at a Compassion Family Medicine and walk-in clinic. And uh, David, I had already hired David on, and he had um, done a good job of um, exiting and exiting well from Astria Regional. Tim Osink had a plan to exit, but that plan got pulled out from underneath him. David Anderson came in on a Monday morning and um, looked at me and he said, Greg, I would like you to read your mission statement. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, David, I wrote it, I've lived it, I don't need to read it, but I did. And then he said, um, after the mission statement, I want you to read your vision statement. And so I did. And then he looked at me and he said, I have a really big ask. And I said, okay, David, what is it? He said, what if we were to offer um, free health care to the people of Astria and their families that have been displaced? And I thought to myself, I, in fact, I paused for about two seconds and I just looked at David and I said, I'm in because that's, that's who we are at Compassion Family Medicine. Um, and so what was really interesting is I never, ever, ever have three no-shows in a row. Guess what? I think this was a Providence thing.
because I had three no-shows in a row, and so David and um, myself and Kaylee Van Trees, nurse practitioner, I think Tim was there as well, Brian Taylor, business manager, we sat around and we fleshed this idea out and came up with the idea of three months free medical care. All you have to do is um, show us a pay stub, and um, I forget what the other thing was, it doesn't matter to me, and you will be seen for free for three months. And that, all of a sudden, what that does for those people is it just, they go, okay, I don't have to worry about my health care. I've got all these other worries going on, right. but you know what? There's a place that I can land for three months and be seen and not have to worry about that earache, that sore throat, that cough. Maybe um, my blood pressure medicines need to be refilled. We do all that for free. I love it. I love it. And you know what I really like about that? And we talk a lot about this on the show is that there again, instead of having to look to the government for a solution mm -hmm. for those people, yeah. um, private industry yourself yeah. came up and volunteered your time and resources mm -hmm. to, to help those people out. And yeah. I just, I, I, I love hearing stories like that. So yeah. thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so what do you see as, what, what do you see as, as the future? What do you want to, what is your goal at, at fam, family, Compassion Family Medicine? Um, well, I, ha I have a couple of goals. I want, I, for, from a workplace perspective, I want, whether it's the front desk, whether, which are the people that answer the phone calls and greet people and help them with their paperwork to get that processed, whether it's the back office, which are the medical assistants that, that bring people in and get their vitals and take a short history so that we as providers can go in, whether it's the providers, whether it is um, Brian Taylor, who is our business manager, or Twyla Lynch, who is our office administrator, Biller. Um, I want people to wake up in the morning and think, I get to go to work. This is a really fun place to be. I'm valued, I'm appreciated, we're meeting people's needs, we're doing important stuff. And then from, from, the, uh, from the patient's perspective, it's, it's really our mission and vision statement where they're listened to and heard, where they're physically examined, touched mentally, emotionally, where appropriate, spiritually. Um, we did a really fun thing. My wife um, runs her own preschool and childcare facility out of her home. And so one of our rooms is dedicated completely to kids. And I mean, we have it decked out. It is this eclectic, totally eclectic room and kids just love it. They get to play. They, they get to go to the doctor's office and play. I mean, what clinic does that? Right. And, and so I have, um, I, have a, I have a lot of peds patients who um, will just tell their mommy, I need to go see Greg, I feel sick. <laughs> and so they'll, they'll come up and show up whether they're sick or not, who knows, but, but we get to play. I mean, I'll sit down on the, on the rug and we'll play, we'll, we'll build Legos. I mean, we just do fun stuff there. And one of the things is, is therefore that kids are not afraid yeah, uh, of, of the clinic, yeah. which is awesome. It. Well, that, we're wrapping up segment two of our show. Thank you so much for being with us, Greg. Um, you are listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham streaming on AM 1470 at the KBSN studio in Moses Lake. Um, check us out, too, on our podcast. We are, we are approved on uh, iTunes, Google, SoundCloud, um, all those. So please listen up there at your favorite podcasting site and give us a review and, and like it and follow us. And we, you will hear from us in a couple minutes. Thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome back to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. 
We are in our final segment of the show. We have, if you missed this in the first two episodes or first two segments, we have Greg Bickle with Compassion, Compassion Family Medicine out of Yakima in with us today. And please, we would love somebody to call in and talk to Greg. Be part of the show, guys. 509-765-1470. We can answer any of your questions, anything related to healthcare. So, Greg, you were talking during the break a little bit about, you wanted to expand on a little bit about the, the PA-physician relationship. Yeah. Go into that. It's really, it can really, I think, make or break the PA. Um, uh, having that really good, solid relationship where you, where you can talk about difficult cases, where you can laugh together, where you can create relationship, where um, you don't feel silly or stupid by asking a, a certain question. Um, one of the things that I tell new grads is, the money doesn't matter the first couple of years. What really truly matters is what kind of support are you going to get from that physician, whether it's an MD or whether it's a DO. That's the only thing that matters. The learning curve after two years of school is incredibly steep. And if you don't have someone that has your back, that's supporting you, that will listen, that will help you think through a differential diagnosis, um, then it can be a really difficult road to go because you're really not supported. Yeah, yeah, that's I've heard that from other mid-levels say the same thing. That mm -hmm. the first two years is so difficult. So oh. you just need somebody that you're working with to, yeah. you know, to have a backup. No, I, I remember waking up the first two to three years, waking up in the middle of the night, thinking, did I ask that question? Did I order that lab? Did I examine that part of the body? Um, that's what you go through. Yeah. You know, whereas, whereas doctors have the four years of medical school, three years of residency. Yeah. So they have seven total years. We as PAs have two years and then a lot of on-the-job training. Yeah. And that's why that, that physician who is your collaborating physician, supervising physician, it's just so important to have that great yeah. working For relationship. Sure. For sure. Well, I know you've shared with me some wonderful patient stories that you have. So I know you have one of a, of a patient that had a heart attack once. Will you, yeah. Can you share that story? Yeah, I, I, I can. Um, so this is a, a gentleman, um, I'll call him Sam, that's not his real name, um, but he lived in Goldendale, Washington, which is about an hour's drive away. And um, we had created this really great relationship. He didn't particularly connect with the uh, providers in the Goldendale, uh, Washington area. And so I would see him, and, and this guy was, um, he just had a lot of comorbidities, um, um, coronary artery disease, he had hypertension, um, he had type 2 diabetes, he had chronic pain that we were, we were managing. And uh, he comes up one day from Goldendale, which is an hour drive, and he's having some chest pain. And when he finally got there, the chest pain was gone. And so we, we did a good thorough history, we did a great exam, we ordered up an EKG. And the EKG was just kind of equivocal, meaning was there something there, was there something not there? And I just looked at Sam and I said, I just, I just have this hunch, I have this feeling that you are brewing a heart attack. You need to go to the emergency room. And so we, we verbally wrestled for several minutes and um, finally um, his significant other, who I'll call Sheila, um, said, Sam, you need to listen to Greg and, and I, looked at, I looked at Sam and I said, if you drive back to Goldendale, my greatest fear is that about halfway between Toppenish and Goldendale, there's nothing, you're gonna have a heart attack and die. And so he went to the emergency room and guess what? He had a, he had a silent MI that was going on 
and uh, we were able to, to help him. And he shows up a couple of weeks later and is eating crow, which was really kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think one thing is that, that I love about you, Greg, and I, I'm sure this really helps with patients too, is that you have a sense of humor. And sometimes in the medical field, it can uh, we, we're always so serious. Yeah, yeah. And I just think if we don't lighten up a little bit, I just think there's a lot of things that mm -hmm. we just miss out on. Well, I, I would agree, and, and I think that um, laughter can be a good medicine. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it can. <laughs> for sure. So you also mentioned... Um, you had um, a story about some mental uh, mental health patients. Is that correct? Oh, you know, I probably did, and now they're gone. I hope <laughs> that's not early memory issues for me. Um, <laughs> you know, they make medications for that. I think they do, don't they? <laughs> uh, um, I guess I, what's interesting to me is, and my, my comment on that is this: is that um, in family practice we do a lot of depression, anxiety. Um, and we just do a and, lot of everything. Well, we do. Yeah. It's yeah. It is very broad. Our our, yeah. our knowledge base is very broad. Um, but yeah, we do a lot of. I'll, I would I would venture to say twenty percent of people that I see, I'm dealing with depression and anxiety. And certainly, I think that um, medications have their role when we think about you know, the th three main brain hormones of serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine, mm -hmm. and how important they are to whether it's pleasure or feeling sad or blue or moody or irritable or angry or um, having motivation and drive and get up and go. But then there's also that other side of just counseling. And uh, we at Compassion Family Medicine really stress the counseling side. And sometimes I just do it with my background in, in ministry, just do it right then and there. Other times folks just need to have that specialist um, and see them and just talk about stuff. But talk therapy can go a long way to healing someone. And once again, it's the whole person. It's the heart and the mind and the body and the soul. So tell me a little bit about how you look at, do you look at your um, career choice now currently as a physician assistant as a ministry? Um, yeah, it, 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 it actually is. Um, tell me about that. Uh, so actually, let me stop. When I made this career change to um, become a physician assistant, I told my wife, Teresa, this is my last career change, I promise. <laughs> and I'd always wanted to have two or three careers, and I've done that. I've done ministry, I've, I've been a pharmaceutical rep, and now I get to do this. The, the, thing, the thing about what I do now is when I wake up in the morning, I'm excited. I mean, I get to go to work. And I, and I just, I absolutely love going to work and being a part of Compassion Family Medicine and making this, this clinic what, what, what it is. Now, what was your question? Oh, the question was, how do you look at your, your current job as a ministry? Oh, oh yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it just is because I think that, that ministry is not getting out your Bible and thumping someone really hard. You know what I'm saying? A ministry can be kindness. It can be a touch on the shoulder. It can be a hug. Um, it can be a, a kind or thoughtful word, um, and it just can be used at just the right time to make a real difference in, in someone's life. When I, think about, um, when, when I think about Jesus, he just met people where they were, and that's what we do at Compassion Family Medicine. The one caveat to that is this, is that you do not have to be a believer um, to work at Compassion Family Medicine, but what you do have to do is you have to get it, and what do I mean by that? You have to understand our underlying principles that we are serving people and that we there's actually a bigger service that we commit to people um, in this big global universe that, that we call the world. 
Well, I think that's sometimes what, what all of us forget, no matter what career choice that we have or take, it's it's um that we have you know, we're all servants. We're all we here are. to serve each we other are. as people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so in any job and I think I think that's one of the things when you talk about, you know, like going to work, well if you realize that you're in that position that that work is you're out to serve others. Yeah, exactly. It's it more enjoyable to go to work. And yeah. I think I think we forget and I need to remind it all the time. My wife's good about reminding me of mm-hmm. it, but but you know, work is a blessing. It is. I mean, and yeah. we need to look at it as that and it'll make our attitudes a lot better about work. Some people don't have work. No, they don't. Or some people stay stuck. Yeah, and right. and you don't have to stay stuck. Right. I, I've said that on this show before um, that you know if make make the career change. If you don't mm-hmm. like the work you're doing, then mm-hmm. change it. Yeah, you know that's what we've talked about this on our show. Yeah. That that's what Janet and I did because mm-hmm. we didn't like the kind of pharmacy we were right. practicing, so yeah. we changed it. Kind of much like what you did. So well, and it's important to have a, a an incredibly supportive wife. Um, because I went down to Chico, California for my didactic year, and Teresa stayed home in Yakima with our 16, 14, and 12-year-old boys. And oh um, I would fly home <laughs> once a month and see the family, and we talk on the phone often. But um, Teresa anchored the family, and I will be forever grateful for that. Yeah, that, that's, good to, that's good to know. Um, so let's see. What about you talked a little bit about substance abuse mm-hmm. and you know some of your own personal, personal um, issues with that with your family. So mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about... about you know how that happens in your clinic when you when you discuss that with a patient when they have a kid that has a substance abuse issue. Um, you know, I've I've seen a lot of parents come in and they're just broken, and they don't know what to do and they don't know how to respond, and they think it's their fault, and they're blaming themselves, and it's oh um, I coulda woulda shoulda, and that's where my story comes in, and and I just I just tell them my story. And all of a sudden, you can really, truly just see them relax. And then I talk about kids and how they become young adults, and then they become adults, and and how eventually, you know, when they're young adults, they begin to make choices for themselves. And there's not anything that we can do. We can create this firm foundation, this background. We can create a family culture that, um, you know, is a good thing. But you know what? We're all humans, and we all have choice. And, we, and, and kids will make choices. And sometimes it'll be really great choices and good choices, and sometimes um, um, they'll, be, they'll be poor choices. It's like I tell, I, I, um, so two of our boys um, are dentists, and they're, 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 yeah, they're, they're fine men, and they're doing great, and they have great families and all of that. Um, and if I would not have had our son that struggles, it would have been like, What's the big deal about parenting? It's easy. But, you know, when, when, when you have that, that child that you love deeply that struggles, then all of a sudden when I tell my story, and I've told my story at men's retreats and things like that, all of a sudden these guys just melt, and they're up talking to you, and you're influencing them based on your experience, and you're hugging on them, and you're praying with them, and, and you're crying together, and it's, it's, it's really a beautiful thing. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, Kids can be raised in the same family. Mm-hmm. They can be, you know, two or three boys or whatever. They're yeah. the exact same age, but they can be so different. Oh. You know, um, God gives us those kids for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. So I, I, I think we can all understand that. I mm-hmm. think, uh, you know, as you talk to others, it's nothing, you know, you talk to other families, they realize that it's really, 
it's actually mm-hmm. pretty normal to have struggles with 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 teenagers yeah. especially so no it is yeah which brings us to the which brings us to um the whole concept nurture versus nature i used to be a a, a huge component of 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 nurture that you can nurture someone out of anything i tend to fall on the more genetic side <laughs> now <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're, we got to wrap up here mm-hmm. in a couple minutes. So, yeah. how, how, what, what are the parting words that you would like to to have on the radio show today? Um. Well. Um. You know what? I just I I love what I do. I love what Compassion Family Medicine and Walk In Clinic is becoming. We have this amazing team of people that get it, and we're living this dream out. And we're all in the boat together, pulling hard on the on the oars, moving in the same direction. And um, I would hope that f- just in the medical community that more people would maybe take a chance and create their own dream. And not that corporate medicine is bad, but boy, I'm so much I'm I'm so happy in what I'm doing. There are there are hard times. Cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, um, blah, 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 overhead, 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 you know. Yeah. But um, I'm so happy that, that we have done it, and I've surrounded myself with an amazing team. And if I had to do it over again, would I choose to become a PA? Absolutely. If I had to do it over again, um, would I begin Compassion Family Medicine? I would. Good for you. That's awesome. It does show. You can just see in the way you talk and the way you treat your patients, and it does show that you love what you're doing. I, I think, do. you know that uh, that is obvious. So you know, and pe- patients see that, people mm-hmm. see that. So you know, there is a big movement about. Uh, yeah, it is a big movement, not, not just kind of a small movement, mm-hmm. but but direct primary care. Mm-hmm. There's a big change in medicine right now, and I think there's over the next five, ten, twenty years, there's just going to be a huge change because. Um, there's a lot of people that are just fed up with the system, yeah. whether it be healthcare providers mm-hmm. or whether it be patients yeah. who are stuck mm-hmm. in the middle. So, you know, one of the goals of our radio show is to educate and empower patients and to have guests on like yourself that help do that. So we do have to wrap up the show. It has been a quick hour for sure, Greg. I appreciate you being here. How do people get a hold of you? Um, uh, CompassionFamilyMedicine.com. Our phone number is 509-228-7237. Sean and Janet, thank you so much. I've enjoyed myself tremendously. Awesome, Greg. Uh, tune in. Tune in Monday, 1, 1 o'clock again, every Monday. The Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. We will see you all later.